Ratzinger, Benedict XVI. Well, that said, let us, well, open the big book on the coffee table. Maybe it should have been more solemn, the opening of the book, but that's what you get. You know, the uh, we won't be taking calls today. This is a very abbreviated show uh, because we uh, uh, aired the, the funeral, uh, the, the mass of Christian burial for his Holiness Pope Benedict XVI. So, and if you have not read his uh, trilogy on Jesus, it's it's worth a read. It's one of the best Bible study books I've ever read. So, uh, it's it, that's I, I I the yeah the voice in my head's reminding me his encyclicals are pretty good too. They certainly are. But you know, uh, he was so biblically literate and. Um, it's it's a, a Bible study that's very devotional. I, I spew out facts, but he knew the facts, and and it was it's very devotional. So I, I urge you uh, to at least read his first his first of the three books, Jesus. All right, let us go to the the word today. It is First John three eleven to twenty one. Beloved, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another, and of course, remember this is agape and. Forgive me, I say it all the time, but uh, you could almost take the word love out of the New Testament and put the word sacrifice in because the word is agape, which meant self-sacrificing love and came to mean sacrificial love. I think that's a very important thing for us to understand because there's so much um, shallow interpretation. All you have to do is love people. Yeah, that's true if you know what love is. You know, I love what St. John of the Cross said, uh, that in the end we will be questioned about love. In other words, we're here to learn what love is. It isn't a warm, fuzzy feeling. It isn't just good intentions. The word means sacrifice. It can be accompanied by warm, fuzzy feelings and good intentions. But to love, love is not what... Okay, are you listening? Are you listening? (laughs) There may be a quiz. Love is not what you feel. Love is what you do. Love is not what you feel. Love is what you do. If you do the right thing, there's a feeling that follows. If you are loving and generous and sacrificial, that, uh, I just heard Father Rocky talking about that, that, oddly enough, gives you joy. So what you give away is ultimately what you have. Love is always and only what you give away. That said, we should love one another. This idea of God is love. If I'm correct in this, and you can define love as sacrificial love, as, in a sense, sacrifice, when the Bible says God is love, God is sacrifice. Now, not just arbitrary sacrifice. That you know, this. I maintain that the Trinity is a very, very easily understood thing. If you believe what Jesus said, that God is love. And of course, John learned this from Jesus. He didn't learn, he didn't find it in the fortune cookie. 
that 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 uh, if you believe that God is love, then God is relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The idea of a Trinity. With the people whom I love, I want to be united, but my humanity and my 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 limited nature makes it impossible for me to be completely united with another human being. Even in the unity of marriage, you can't be perfectly united with another human being because of our our limits. God has no limits. He can be perfectly three and perfectly one. And this is the idea, well... If God is love, who's he going to love? Well, he loves us. Yeah, but if we were the only uh, object, or better put, subject of his love, then he would be dependent on his creatures for his existence. No, within God, there is is perfect diversity and perfect unity. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and their love is so dynamic that it is a— speaking person, the Holy Spirit. So this idea of God being sacrificial love, God is relationship. And to think that the creator of the universe was that sacrificial love that creates perfect relationship. Love created the universe. The universe exists for sacrificial love. All right. So we should love one another, unlike Cain who belonged to the evil one and slaughtered his brother. If you've listened regularly, you've heard me talk about this a number of times, but that never stopped me. Why did God accept the sacrifice of Abel and not accept the sacrifice of Cain? The Bible doesn't say. Yes, it does. It does. In Psalm 50, verse 5, I I think I mentioned this the other day and said Psalm 60. I was wrong. Psalm 50, verse 5. Summon to me those saints. The word is chasidim in in Hebrew. It means the holy ones, the saints. Summon to me the saints who have made covenant with me by sacrifice. I remember looking at that and thinking, hmm, I wonder what that word is in Hebrew. Because there are a number of words in Hebrew that can be translated sacrifice. The usual word, which I actually think is Aramaic, the word that that is usual is korban. Uh, um, And that means, uh, that's just the all-inclusive word for sacrifice. But that's not the word that's used in the 50th Psalm, the 5th verse. The, the word used in the 50th Psalm, the 5th verse, is zabah, which means a slaughter, a blood sacrifice. What is that about? That's the word that means, uh, well, a blood sacrifice. And you can't make a covenant with God without a blood sacrifice. Therein lies the problem. Abel sacrificed a lamb. And the idea was that, that may this happen to me if I violate the, the covenant between us. And Cain offered the produce of the field with which you can't make a covenant. Again, Forgive me, I've shared these ideas before. What's the difference between a covenant and a contract? A contract is, I will give you so that you might give me. A covenant is, I give you myself that you might give me yourself. The covenant ends with the death of one of the covenanters. A contract ends when the business 
the service, the money is exchanged, that the relationship is over. And again, at the risk of being indelicate, um, intimacy, physical intimacy is an integral part of human life. There are different institutions which deal with physical int- intimacy. One is marriage, which we respect and honor and, and desire. There is another institution that deals with physical intimacy for which we have very little respect. Uh, and um, that's because it's a contract. I will give you this money for, as a payment for intimacy. It's not about a relationship. Marriage is reverenced. The other is not reference, reverenced. They both deal with the same thing on a certain level. One is a covenant, the other is a contract. Now, I say that because you and me, we want to make contracts with God, don't we? I will light this candle. I will say these prayers. You know, when you go into a church and you see uh, some piece of papers that this, this, uh, this prayer has never been known to fail, you must make nine copies and put them in nine different churches and say this prayer for nine days and— uh, uh, if you don't, then an anvil will fall out of the sky and smash your head. You see these all the time. This is to, to I really believe, and it's a little strong, you know, I really believe that for you to make the copies and put them in the back of church is sinful. I don't think it's mortally sinful, but I suppose it could be under certain circumstances. But I think it's sinful because you're trying to make a contract with God. You can't make a contract. He doesn't do contracts. He does covenants. Now, there are contractual elements in a covenant, but a covenant is not a contract. Cain offered the produce of the earth. He did not want to make covenant with God. Abel wanted to make covenant. I think this is very, very important for us, that this is the gift of life. This is what Mass is about. Mass is a covenant not a contract. This is, you know, uh, when we consecrate uh, the chalice, we say, this is the, the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. And the word in Hebrew for covenant is berith. Uh, if you know, if you have friends who are Jews, they talk about a bris, which is the the ritual of circumcision, which is in a sense, a substitute uh, uh, sacrifice. That, 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 that ritual seems very obscure to us, and to certain people it seems barbaric. But it is, in a sense, a substitute for, literally, for human sacrifice. That's what most scholars think of it as. There's a shedding of blood. It's a sabach. Are you willing to give your life for Christ? Mass is a shedding of blood. It is the new bris in the blood of Christ, in the blood of the Messiah. Um, This is central to our faith. So I I think that's an important thing to understand. Now, unlike Cain, who belonged to the evil one, you heard of people trying to sell their souls to the devil or, or making a deal with the devil that's because that the devil is, is capable only of a contract. Now, I'm not saying that all contracts are demonic. When you want to have work on your house done, make sure there's a good contract. Run it by a lawyer. But when I want to make a contract for power or for knowledge, then I'm in trouble. 
and that that's essentially what I remember hearing the story of uh, from this I heard from an exorcist, and I don't want to go into too many details, but a person of great prominence who uh, who was well, uh, this is going to sound Lord Saint Michael Saint Michael the Archangel defend us in battle. I hesitate to talk about it, but but. Uh, this is a, a person who was involved in a possession. I don't want to go any farther, but the possessing spirit seems to have been a, a prominent person in the world before their demise. And when asked, why did you do this? Why, why would, you, would you consort with the devil in this way? And the answer was because of power, for the sake of power. A contract with the evil one for power is the most foolish possible thing. A contract with the evil one for knowledge is a foolish thing. That Ouija boards, why are Ouija boards wrong? Because I am inviting the devil into me so that I might have knowledge, and knowledge is power. Don't do it. Remember the psalm that says, like a, like a weaned child at his mother's breast, I have not sought after things too great for me. That we live by, by faith, we live by trust. And... The idea of a contract, in a sense, is the opposite of trust. A covenant is the essence of trust. You know, it's as if God presents us every time we go to Mass. God presents us with a blank sheet of paper, and he says, this is, this is my covenant. Sign down there. Well, it's, can you fill in the details? I'll fill them in later. That a covenant, you don't know what the future is bringing, but you still give yourself to, to this other person. That's amazing about marriage. You don't know what it's going to be. You say, for better, for worse, richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. I was just thinking of a story uh, about a, a man who uh, uh, married his childhood sweetheart. It was a terrible accident, and she was a quadriplegic and, and uh, had lost a great deal of mental uh, ability. And, of course, they were never able to have children. And he was faithful to her. He would, he would make sure that she was wonderfully dressed, and he would take her to church every Sunday and when they were in old age, this old man wheeling this old quadriplegic woman into the church, the, the, the new pastor came up and said, I have such great respect for what you do. And he said, for what? I don't understand. He said, well, the, you, you, you wheel this, your wife, you've been so faithful to your wife, you wheel her into church every Sunday. And the guy just looked at the pastor with shock. He said, but Father, I love her. You don't know what the future is going to bring when you make a covenant. A covenant is the very essence of trust. We live by faith and not by sight. A contract, I know exactly what I'm going to get. I know exactly what I'm going to give. And if it doesn't work, I'll call the lawyers. The devil works by contracts. The Lord works by covenants. Why did he slaughter him? Because his own works were evil and those of his brother righteous. Do not be amazed, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we sacrifice for our brothers. We love our brothers. Whoever does not have sacrificial love remains in death. You know, what the world calls love is contractual, not covenantal. Uh, I don't feel it anymore, dear. We're getting a divorce. In other words, I'm not getting out of this what I thought I would. The contract is over. You know, why don't we go to—why why do I not encourage people 
to go to civil weddings or non-Catholic weddings uh, because they admit, not not all non-Catholic weddings, but civil weddings certainly admit the possibility of divorce. Civil weddings are purely a contract, not a covenant. And why should we celebrate a contract? It's ridiculous. We celebrate covenants. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. Why is it, you know, I hate him. I'm not going to kill him. Oh, in a sense, you, you have killed him. You, you've, you've wished, you've refused to, to, to see the image of God in that person. You know, the image of God exists in every human being. And in a sense, when you hate your brother, you're refusing to recognize the divine image. You are putting to death, at least in your own sight, the image of God. You're denying the image of God in that person. In that sense, you commit murder. You're killing the image of God in another person. The way we come to know love was that he laid down his life for us. You think I'm making this stuff about sacrificial love up? This verse defines love. We came to know love. He laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If someone has worldly means, sees a brother in need, and refuses him compassion, how can the sacrificial love of God remain in children? Let us love not in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. What I just tell you? Love is not what you feel. It's not what you say. It's what you do. Let us love not in word or speech, but in deed and truth. Now, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and reassure uh, our hearts before him in whatever our hearts condemn. Let me restart this again. Now, this is how we shall know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts before him in whatever our hearts condemn. For God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence within God. Now, when you and I hear it, when our hearts don't condemn us, we hear that, that well, that's my feeling. I feel it in my heart. I don't think that's what, what, what it means. The Greek word is kardia, which means the absolute deepest part of a human being. I remember an old priest, I asked him, how do you know you really have a calling from the Lord? And uh, uh, to the priesthood. And this this guy said, if in your deepest heart it's what you want, then it's what God wants. I thought that was kind of interesting. In your deepest heart. Now, how do you know your deepest heart? Most of us, the Bible says elsewhere in the Psalms, he will give us the desires of our heart. Most of us don't know the desires of our heart. We just know the desires of our head. They say that the longest journey is about 12 inches from the head to the heart. When we talk about the heart, it's not that maudlin kind of, oh, I feel it so it must be true thing that we Americans think about. We're such romantics, we Americans. No, no the, 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 uh, uh, the heart is, is the deepest and most real part of a human being in, in, in the Greek uh, context. The kardia, the heart of the matter. That's a little different. I say, well, what's the heart of the matter? You know, you get rid of all the fluff and you get to the heart of the matter. What's really true, what's really there. So thinking of that, now this is how we shall know that we belong to the truth and, and reassure our innermost beings before him, whatever our hearts condemn, for God is greater than our even our innermost being and knows everything. 
Beloved, if our hearts do not, if, a, if, if who you really, how do you know who you really are? I think of, of uh, um, oh, I can't think of his name. It's not, is it San Lorenzo Ruiz, a Filipino saint who actually was, uh, as I heard the story, was on the run from the law. And he was in Japan. And um, uh, he'd been falsely accused of some crime. And he was in Japan. He'd escaped uh, from the Philippines to Japan. And uh, then the Japanese started killing Christians. And that's the point at which he had to stop running. He said, I can't deny Christ. And they killed him. Um, you know, you get into a situation, a difficult situation, and then you know what your heart is. It's not when you're on a moonlit beach and there's tropical music and you've had a, a margarita or two. That's not your heart. Your heart is usually manifested in difficult situations. When you come up against something and you can't live without it, you know your heart. All right, that said, let us go to the word of the day, a fun word of the day from the second reading. Ooh, that was a nice loud gong. <laughs> this Do you is... prefer loud gongs? <laughs> no, I'm good. Any size gong is fine. I'm easy, I'd say. All right, the word of the, town is, of course, the, word of the day is, of course, Nazareth, which is great fun. There were two places. Uh, the, 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 the old Davidic royal family didn't come back altogether from... Uh, <clears throat> the exile in Babylon, they came back kind of slowly. And, um, well, about 100 years before Christ, people started talking about Messiah, and, well, the Messiah would come from the old royal Davidic family who weren't in power anymore. It was the Herod family and the Maccabees who were in power. And, uh, well, ah, the Messiah is coming, so maybe we should move back. There'll be job opportunities when, when one of us is the Messiah. So uh, they settled in two towns, one east of the Jordan, which was called Kochaba, which means the star in Aramaic. Uh, I believe Aramaic. But uh, um, the only clear, I think, prophetic reference to the Messiah in, in, the, in the Torah is uh, in the prophecies of, of Balaam that a star will rise out of Israel. So they called that town the star. And then there was another town west of the Jordan, called Nazareth. And Nazareth means a little shoot. Now, not a little shoot like in Wisconsin near Green Bay. The listeners in Little Shoot always enjoy this. But little shoot uh, means, it means it's, it's a reference to the prophecy uh, that a shoot will rise out of the stump of Jesse. So this was a tiny town of threadbare aristocrats, uh, um, maybe a couple hundred people, small town, and... Uh, uh, it was tiny, and of course Nathaniel said, "What good can come out of Nazareth?" Well, <laughs> there was a, a great good that came out of Nazareth. So, uh, this is a, a, a great, a great, great. Um, I think that's a, a great kind of story that, that Nathaniel, the great cynic. As soon as Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree, he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said to him, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than that. Amen, amen, I say to you, you will see the sky open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We always think of the angels coming down upon the Son of Man. I read this a little differently. The ascending and descending on the Son of Man, Jesus on his cross, is the ladder to heaven. 
the angels descended on that ladder and they 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 go up on that ladder uh i i look at it that way that that christ is the ladder to heaven so well that said we're about to end we got we got 60 seconds i'm told by the voice in my head and uh tomorrow we'll uh, god willing have a regular show and and take uh, phone calls and uh read more letters and more words of the day so so grateful for the opportunity to talk to you and share with you. It's I, I can't tell you how much it means to me. I, I hope it's a blessing to you, but it certainly is a blessing to me. Uh, if I didn't have to do this every day, I'd probably stop thinking. So, <clears throat> darn, I have, have to keep thinking. Oh, sure. <coughs> Voice in my head saying, oh, there's a cough button here somewhere. I can't find it, but nah, never mind. All right, that's music in my head, which means Drew is coming up, and Drew is in... In under full sail today, so don't go anywhere. <laughs>